Blog Talk Radio.
Greetings. This is Abayomi Azikawe, and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine. It's brought to you here on a weekly basis. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. Today is Sunday, September 24th, uh, 2023, and we're broadcasting from our studios in downtown Detroit. We'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in uh, once again to yet another edition of the Pan-African Journal, this special edition of our program. Later on, we'll be bringing you our regular Pan-African Newswire report. We'll have dispatches on an explosion in the West African state of Benin at an illegal fuel warehouse. France has recalled its ambassador and diplomatic staff from the West African state of Niger. We'll have details on that as well. Belarus says it supports uh, Africa and other geopolitical regions of the global south in efforts to gain equal status on uh, the United Nations Security Council. And the Russian Federation proclaims that it is backing African states in their development and security issues. In the second and third hours, uh, we listened to deliberations from the United Nations General Assembly, 78th session in New York City. We will examine the addresses of uh, the leaders of Mali, Burkina Faso, Zimbabwe, and Gabon. These and other features will be brought to you during the course of our program. Uh, stay tuned. We'll take our music interlude with Tabule Rashru. Let's listen in. Madonna Linga Kio Lelo Nazali Kokamana Yosalinga Solili Kinga Nakobo Sanate Madonna Tia Kio Confiance Colombolinanga Cosa Nina 
Patina nini toka wana Naluka katango mosusu na salamata Sana kufanda na kukanisa Oh sheri mato opposition ya motema Eko tindanga na mimoma Arobana miso makasi ya mwana mobalita Motema na polela Na 
Alors
Tropel Abidjan, fierté de l'Afrique, Abidjan au bord de l'Atlantique. Du pop où est quand on atteint Cocody, on se dit vivre à Oufouet Poignet. Tropel Abidjan, métropole, que tu ressembles à Montréal. Abidjan, tu as le monopole, comme ton peuple est si loyal. Abidjan métropole, que tu ressembles à Montréal. Abidjan, tu as le monopole, comme ton peuple est si loyal. Sous un soleil lourd, les Ivoiriens se ruent pour ton marché de Trècheville. Un musulman pris dans un coin réduit, voilà le charme d'une grande ville. Sur le plateau, les magasins régorgent des articles de Paris. Qui parle à Bijan, parle au Télivoire, le gratte-ciel de Cocody. Oh, belle Abidjan métropole, que tu ressembles à Montréal. Abidjan, tu as le monopole, comme ton peuple est si loyal. Belle Abidjan métropole, que tu ressembles à Montréal. Abidjan, tu as le monopole, comme ton peuple est royal. marché de Trècheville, un musulman pris dans un coin revu, voilà le charme d'une grande ville. Oh belle Abidjan métropole, que tu ressembles à Montréal, Abidjan tu as le monopole, comme ton peuple est si loyal. Oh belle Abidjan métropole, que tu ressembles à Montréal. Le monopole, comme ton bleu. 
The music of uh, Tabule Rashru, uh, one of the uh, legendary Pan-African artists from the Democratic Republic of Congo. That was music from the late uh, 1960s. Right now, we want to move into our Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. And these are uh, some of the headlines uh, in today's uh, Pan-African Newswire. Our lead story uh, deals uh, with the current uh, situation in the West African state of Benin. An explosion erupted at a warehouse for smuggled fuel in southern Benin. Benin's informal economy is heavily reliant on selling smuggled Nigerian fuel on the informal market. An explosion at what is believed to be an illegal fuel depot in southern Benin killed at least 35 people and injured several others yesterday according uh, to the Benin government. A justice ministry statement shared by a local radio station, BIP Radio Continue, put the death toll at 35 with a child among the dead. It said a fire broke out at a store, adding that a preliminary investigation suggested it took place as gasoline bags were being unloaded from a vehicle. Another news from West Africa, uh, the French President Emmanuel Macron says his country will withdraw its ambassador and troops from Niger in the wake of the July coup that overthrew uh, the President uh, Mohamed Bazoum, who was a close ally of France and the United States. France has decided to withdraw its ambassador. In the next hours, our ambassador and several diplomats will return to France, Macron said in a televised interview on Sunday, he added that military cooperation was, quote, over, unquote, and French troops would withdraw in the months and weeks to come with a full pullout by the end of the year. France has maintained some 1,500 troops in Niger since the July coup and refused a request uh, by the new military rulers for its ambassador to leave. Thousands of people have protested in recent weeks in the capital of Naomi. Uh, including outside of a military base which houses French soldiers. The new rulers had been demanding the exit of the French ambassador and troops after Macron refused to recognize the CNSP government. You can read these uh, stories in their entirety over the Pan-African Newswire. In other news, uh, Belarus says it supports the proposal to expand the United Nations Security Council by adding new permanent members from Asia Africa, and Latin America. Belarusian Foreign Minister Sergei Alenik uh, told uh, the UN General Assembly. Currently, it is imperative to expand the category of permanent membership by adding major developing nations from Asia, Africa, and Latin America. It is gratifying to know that China and Russia are supporting this kind of reform of the Council as they have declared on many occasions he told the general political debate of the assembly uh, in the 78th session. In his words, the remaining three members, the United Kingdom, the United States, and France, need to, quote, acknowledge the changes and agree to formally seal them, unquote. Finally, uh, Russia's return to Africa has already happened, and African countries take note of good ties with Moscow, uh, Russia's permanent representative to the United Nations, Vasily Ibenza, uh, told reporters, commenting on African countries' growing interest in uh, the Russian Federation. 
Russia is not coming back. It has come back to Africa. He said all the African ministers who met uh, with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov confirmed that our economic trade is going up and we have good political ties. Lebenzia uh, pointed out that Russia is in close cooperation with African nations through the UN, where Russia rests its position on the principle of African solutions to African countries. This means uh, that Africans cannot be told how they should live, but instead it is better to help them do as they themselves want, he added. With that, we're going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. We would like to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998. Since then, it has published tens of thousands of articles and dispatches in hundreds of newspapers, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to the Pan-African Journal, all you need to do, if you'd like to log on to the Pan-African Newswire, all you need to do is go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. If you'd like to have access to today's Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast, all you need to do is log on to the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. We'll take a break. Uh, we'll be back with more of the Pan-African Journal for this week.
that is uh, Detroit's own Motown Sound, the Marvelettes, uh, with the track entitled Danger, Heartbreak Ahead. And uh, just uh, several days ago, Catherine Anderson Schaffner, a founding member of the Marvelettes, uh, made her transition, and uh, the cause of death is unknown at this point. The tragic news was confirmed by her daughter, Keisha Schaffner, on Wednesday, uh, September 20th, uh, via Facebook. Some called her Cat, some called her Sis Gamma, Mama K, but my sister and I called her Mom. She wrote in her tribute post, she was not just a mom to us, but to many. Uh, many people would come and sit at her table. Now, if you ever sat and said, Cat, I need to talk, you already knew you were going to get true, uncut, unedited counsel. She wasn't going to tell you what you wanted to hear, but what you should hear. I remember friends saying, I'm coming over. And I would say, I'm not home. The response would be, I'm going to talk to your mom. My response would always be, you know how that's going to go, right? Two hours and a box of tissue later, sitting at her table, your counseling session was over. Funny part, it would come back for more. Chapner reflected on her late mother's cooking and including her specialty. And, of course, uh, Catherine uh, Elaine Anderson uh, on January the 16th of 1944, was born. She's a Michigan native. Uh, she began her career uh, when she was enlisted as a background singer for her friends, Gladys Horton and Georgia Dobbins, at the Inkster High School talent show in 1961, along with Georgiana Tillman and Juanita Coward. And uh, that is um, a brief uh, report on the transition of uh, Catherine Anderson, of uh, the legendary, legendary Marvelettes, uh, the first uh, Motown group to have a major hit single, Mr. Dear Mr. Postman, and of course they were all women's group, uh, young women uh, from Exeter, Michigan, a suburb uh, just west of the city of Detroit. And uh, right now we want to move into uh, our Pan-African Newswire Extended segment. Uh, we're going to feature several speeches uh, from the United Nations General Assembly 78th session, which took place uh, in New York City over the last week. We'll hear uh, the representative uh, from the Republic of Mali. Let's listen in. I now give the floor to His Excellency Abdullah Job. Minister of Foreign Affairs and International Cooperation of Mali. Monsieur le Président, President of the General Assembly, Excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, Secretary General of the United Nations, it is a great honor for me to address the cordial greetings of His Excellency Asimi, Colonel Asimi Goita, Transitional President and Head of State of Mali, on behalf of the whole of the Malian people. I am speaking from this Rostrum, also on behalf of His Excellency, the General Brigade 
Brigadier General Adama Chami, President of the National Council for Safeguarding Our Homeland, Head of State of Niger, who has been prevented from speaking here. At the outset, I should like to renew the condolences of the people and authorities of Malali to the authorities and people of Morocco, Libya, Turkey, and Syria following the natural disasters which have hit these kindred countries. President, peace and security remain the priority for the people of Mali and the Sahel. After over a decade of violence with particularly devastating effects, however, this region was known as a haven of peace, social cohesion, and coexistence between its communities. For its part, the Mali, has, Mali has decided to carry out a paradigm shift and take its fate into its own hands. In security terms, therefore, Mali has prioritized bolster capacity building of our security and defense forces so as to allow them to acquit themselves of their sovereign mission of defending our national territory and protecting the people and goods. The Malian people has now resumed greater trust and confidence in its defense forces. The people of Mali are encouraged by the results in combating the terrorist armed groups and their foreign state sponsors. Mali denounces, once again, with great force, the interference of certain powers who continue to facilitate the criminal activities of terrorist armed groups in Mali and in the Sahel. I wish to recall that on the 15th of August 2022, the government of Mali had alerted the United Nations Security Council to hostile acts and aggressions by France. Rather than ceasing such actions, this country, a permanent member of the Security Council of the United Nations, continues with full impunity its destabilizing maneuvers in Mali and the Sahel, as is attested to by the recent liberation of terrorists in the tri-border zone of Burkina Faso, Mali, and Niger. Outside any kind of judicial framework and unknown to the state concerned to perpetrate further actions and terrorism against our civilian people and our defense and security forces. The hostile acts by France are also shown in their illegal and inopportune actions to prevent the treatment of our requests for financing in a number of financial institutions of a sub-regional, regional and even international nature. Likewise, it is regrettable that this same country, France, attempts and sometimes even manages, unfortunately, to instrumentalize regional African organizations, pitting brotherly countries against each other, merely for their geopolitical interests in a neo-colonial and paternalistic attitude. President, Mali is aware of the fact that military action alone cannot sustainably eradicate the complex challenges linked to terrorism and certain problems linked to the governance of the country. This is why the government has endowed itself, endowed itself with an integrated strategy including political and institutional reform, development, 
specific concerns for youth, women, including employment, and their representation in decision-making bodies at local and national levels. To put the conditions in place allowing us to achieve the deepest aspirations of the Malian people for change, the government has committed itself to implementing political and institutional reforms which will be necessary for the reorganization of the state. In this dynamic, the 18th of June 2023 organization of the referendum of a new constitution in Mali was adopted at over 96% and it is participating in this effect. Its promulgation by the head of state on the 18th of July 2023 means the beginning of the fourth republic in Mali. With this landmark, we show our true determination to ensure a return to constitutional order which is peaceful and secure, including the organization in the upcoming months of general elections. President, after 10 years of presence in our country, the international response to the security challenges in Mali has not been commensurate to the threats. The expectations of the Malian people, expressed so many times by the authorities, have therefore often been ignored. The United Nations mission in Mali, MINUSMA, has not been able to help Mali to re-establish its authority over the whole of its territory. Despite the considerable investments over the last 10 years, during its presence on our national territory, the security situation has unfortunately only deteriorated further. The insecurity which was cantoned into northern areas of Mali at the time of the deployment of the United Nations mission in 2013 has now reached the center and the south. This spread of insecurity fortunately is now being countered thanks to the undeniable successes on the ground by the Malian armed forces despite the challenges inherent to this kind of operation. Despite the difficulties encountered by MINUSMA due to its, uh, the fact that the mission was not adapted to the security context, that is peacekeeping in an environment where there is no peace to be kept, the Malian government accommodated itself nevertheless to the passive presence of the mission. However, it had become unacceptable for the government of Mali to allow MINUSMA to continue to become a part of the problem by aggravating tensions between our communities through the instrumentalization of the question of human rights for political ends, thus using agendas external to and belonging to countries which are hostile to Mali. It's enough after a comprehensive assessment that the government of Mali therefore decided in June or requested in June 2023 that there be withdrawal of MINUSMA and we are pleased that the Security Council of the United Nations accepted our request. The government of Mali is working with MINUSMA on its orderly, coordinated and safe withdrawal within the by the 31st of December 2023. Pursuant to the relevant provisions of Resolution 2690, adopted on the 30th of June 2023 by the Security Council, the Government of the Republic of Mali does not envisage prolonging this deadline. 
extending this deadline. We would like to reassure the part Malian people and the international community that all provisions are being made to ensure the continuity of state services after MINUSMA's departure. The first phase of the withdrawal process is finished, and the second phase is already underway. MINUSMA has not been able to fulfill its mandate, that is true, but the government and Malian people remain grateful for the efforts and sacrifices made over the last 10 years in Mali. And I here pay tribute to the memory of all the victims, both civilian and military, both Malian and foreign, who fell honorably in Mali. Minister's withdrawal does not, however, mean the end of cooperation between Mali and the United Nations. Quite the contrary. My country is very much attached to its membership of the United Nations, and the government remains committed to the noble principles and ideals of the Charter. Likewise, Mali renews its commitment to cooperate with all of the states in the world who so wish and who respect the fundamental principles of my country's foreign policy. In a dynamic of national ownership, we wish to continue the efficient implementation and intelligent implementation of the Agreement for Peace and Reconciliation resulting from the Algiers process, alongside our brothers in the signatory bodies who so wish. We welcome the progress made since the signature of this agreement in 2015, including the adoption of the new constitution, which takes on a number of the provisions of the agreement, and the government has decided to prioritize inter-Malian dialogue so in the future, to, so as to further progress the peace process with signatory bodies. We are aware of challenges along the way to peace, like the macabre series of terrorist attacks carried out undiscerningly against civilians where elements of the defense forces and security forces of, Malian, of Mali were affected. The attacks, the barbarous, barbarous attacks against Tombuktu vessel and attacks on camps and towns in Bamba, Gao and Burem between the 7th and 12th of September last are illustrative of the cruelty of this terrorist and criminal groups in organized gangs who attack targets in a cowardly way such as women and children. On behalf of the Head of State of Mali, the government and the Malian people, I wish to thank all friendly nations and international organizations who have manifested their compassion and solidarity following these tragic events. Having said that, it is regrettable that even faced with such tragic events and at a time where the topic of our session calls on us to show greater solidarity, it is regrettable that the UN Security Council has failed to attain the minimum consensus to find the means to denounce these barbarous acts. Despite these difficulties, or rather because of these difficulties, the government of the Republic of Mali is more committed than ever to ensuring its sovereignty and its authority, and to extend all of our authority throughout national territory. The obscurantist and offensive forces will be opposed to the security forces. Security forces will 
prevail and eliminate them. That was the case recently in Berem, where our valiant soldiers pushed back a attack by this uh, obscurantist criminal group, inflicting substantial losses while extending the presence and authority of the state. The state has also also aims to uh, liberate all of the areas formerly uh, under Manusma. We are acting in conformity with all UN texts, and in no way are our actions an act of belligerence uh, against the signatory movements. Quite the contrary. We are continuing to extend a hand to our brothers, the signatories, to ensure sustainable peace and harmonious development for our nation. So we call upon the armed groups to stop their collusion with armed terrorist groups during recent attacks and to do so pursuant to the peace agreement and the various relevant UN Security Council resolutions. In the current geopolitical context, Mali does not want to be a theater of confrontation or competition for foreign geopolitical interests. Yet we stand ready to engage in cooperation with all partners that respect our sovereignty and our choice of partners uh, and also in the interests of the Malian people. President, as for the regional and international situation, Mali is closely following recent developments in Africa and in the rest of the world. As for global governance, the government of the Republic of Mali reiterates its commitment to the respect for the Charter of the United Nations, especially respect for the sovereign equality of states. And hence, we reject the policy of certain states to exercise neo-colonial dominion and to subject other peoples and nations. We deplore that the we believe that uh, simply put geopolitical interests are at stake while ignoring the aspirations of the peoples concerned in the recent regime changes. In this regard, we denounce and reject the double standards that are exercised by certain powers and certain regional organizations and even by certain international organizations, including by the United Nations. This incoherence and this instrumentalization can only sap the credibility of our organization in the eyes of the population and in public opinion, eroding their trust in these institutions, which are now perceived as having departed from their primary function. Some of these organizations are used beyond any legal uh, framework. They're being used as weapons against countries and populations that endorse them freely and sometimes undertook a transfer of sovereignty. These organizations are therefore being transformed into an organization that perpetuates the uh, colonialist and hegemonic order. We are closely tracking the situation in Niger as well. Since the 26th of July 2023, the people and government of Mali reiterates their support 
total support to the government and people of Niger, which is a kindred country, a neighboring country, and a friendly country. We denounce on the we denounce the principle of uh, imposing sanctions and coercive measures against another nation, be that nation in Africa or elsewhere. We also denounce these actions, in particular when they're just, illegal, and inhuman, as is the case with what ECOWAS did in imposing sanctions against Niger and with respect to the sanctions that were imposed against my country as well. The inhuman consequences of these sanctions are dramatic. I'm thinking of the sanctions in Niger that the Undersecretary General for Humanitarian Affairs said to ECOWAS, he sent a letter to ECOWAS on the need to alleviate these measures. I want to recall that even in the case of Iraq, a humanitarian corridor was opened in order to provide the Iraqi people with what they needed. These are organizations founded on solidarity and fraternity, and they should not be used to punish one's own brothers, one's own people, prohibiting them from obtaining food and medications. Furthermore, Mali remains firmly opposed to any inter military intervention by ECOWAS, which would have disastrous consequences for Niger, but for the whole of the region as well. Any military intervention in Niger or any aggression, any invasion of that country would pose a direct threat to the peace and security of Mali, but also to the peace and security of the region. And it would necessarily entail grave consequences. We will not uh, stand idly by. One should not repeat the serious errors of the recent past. In 2011, through the firm op opposition and warning of African leaders, the United Nations Security Council decided, regrettably, to authorize a NATO intervention into Libya. The consequences of that operation violently destabilized this kindred country and the entire region. This war of NATO in Libya is at the origin of the expansion of terrorism and violent extremism throughout the Sahel region with its innocent victims and destruction that have ensued. This is why we will never stop reiterating the international responsibility for this human tragedy which is undergone by Libya and by the people of the Sahel since that intervention. Therefore, on behalf of all the victims of 2011 up until today, the tens of thousands of dead, the millions of displaced peoples and refugees, we call for justice, we call for reparations. But above all, we ask for the international community to shoulder its responsibility and to draw the full consequences of this hazardous uh, military in, uh, intervention by third-party countries. It is crucial to avoid reproducing in Niger the errors committed in Libya the errors that caused the degradation of the entire Sahel region, including in Burkina Faso, Mali, and in Niger. This is essential to reestablish trust among nations, which is the uh, aligned with the theme of our session. The many international challenges to peace and security call for Security Council institutional reform, or rather United Nations reform.
Mali reiterates its support to the legitimate demand of the African continent, the demand for Security Council reform, in order to make it more representative of the realities of our time. Likewise, Mali will continue to advocate for changes in economic, financial, and political global governance mechanisms to craft ideal, fair conditions for the participation by our country in multilateral institutions. In this regard, Mali reiterates the central role that Africa needs to play among the international organizations and nations. In this regard, we hail the opening of the BRICS alliance. Uh, we welcome the fact that they've included uh, Africa in that as well. BRICS and the upcoming bank offers power, uh, important opportunities for the development of the global south. Along the same lines, the opening of the G20 to the African Union is an important signal. It's important for Africa's participation in other international fora intensify in the name of justice and equity. Climate change poses a genuine threat to present and future generations. We must be bold enough to move beyond dogmatism and short-sighted interests when it comes to this problem. In this regard, Mali, in this regard, the time has come to effectively implement the decisions of our summits and of our COPs. It is important for states that were responsible for climate change assume their full, complete responsibility, including by supporting the efforts of these countries of the South to ensure their own development. President, I wish to recall that the United Nations was created in 1945, as you well know, essentially to spare succeeding generations from the scourge of war. This is our goal enshrined in the UN Charter, and it is far from a reality. Even more, current geopolitical tensions and many conflicts in the world are causing true concern for multilateralism, for peaceful coexistence, and harmonious development. Making a pause in the rhetoric of intimidations and threats and war, as the theme of the 70th session invites us to do. Uh, we need to work together to reestablish confidence in global solidarity. We need to dare to undertake reforms that will craft a world where everyone counts, where no one is left behind, where we all work together to put in place effective international mechanisms that are fair, effective, and inclusive that can tackle crises instead of uh, perpetuating those crises. Victim, victims of meddling in their internal affairs, the people of Mali and several states of the Sahel, unfortunately continue to live out the tragic consequences of the multidimensional crises caused and perpetuated by those who paradoxically are giving lectures about democracy or the respect for human rights. When it comes to the implementation of the head of state for the transition in Mali, uh, that is eliminating all neo-colonial interference. And the Republic of Mali counts on sincere partners, those countries that value relations on equal footing and with equal respect. In this regard, I wish to make special mention of the Russian Federation for its solidarity 
and for its faithful commitment, both multilaterally and bilaterally. Mali will remain committed to bolster regional mechanisms and sub-regional re mechanisms in Africa as well, which defend as a priority the interests of the African people. We are faithful to our Pan-African vocation, which is reaffirmed in all of our successive constitutions. Therefore, we re reiterate our adherence to all relevant collective security mechanisms, especially with regard to African leadership, and we also reaffirm this point. This is the full meaning behind the creation on the 16th of September of 2023 of an alliance of the Sahel nations of Burkina Faso, Mali, and Niger by the signing of a charter. This organization aims to establish a collective defense architecture and architecture of mutual defense to counter any form of aggression, terrorism, or transnational organized crime in the space of the alliance. This new organization also has the ambition of bringing together the efforts of these three countries in the socioeconomic and monetary realm, but also to strengthen a new basis for regional integration. This time, it will be an integration of the people grounded in solidarity, in respect for dignity, in the identity of our peoples and our countries, and the affirmation of our sovereignty over our land and resources, but also our sovereignty over our organizations. The, fi the financing of our activities through our own uh, resources and also prevention of hegemonic and uh, neo-colonial uh, domination. Beyond security cooperation, Mali fully endorses the African initiatives that work to promote and increase bonds of fraternity and solidarity throughout the African political alliance initiated by the Sister Republic of Togo, which aspires to achieve an independent Africa that is politically strong, that is non-aligned, and can participate in evil, on equal footing in global governance. President, excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, in closing, I wish to observe that the many challenges in the way of peace, security, and development require a multilateral framework that is adapted and recast we cannot continue to do what we've been doing before using the same mechanisms, the same institutions which have failed to adapt while expecting a new outcome. For its part, Mali remains committed to multilateralism where each nation counts, a multinationalism with solidarity that offers ambitious solutions to the complex challenges facing our time, especially in the Sahel a open multilateralism which takes into account the deep aspirations of our population to change dignity and respect for sovereign equality of states, equity, justice, development, security, and finally, peace. I thank you for your kind attention. I thank the Minister of Foreign Affairs and International Cooperation of Mali. That was uh, the foreign minister of uh, Mali in West Africa giving an address uh, just uh, three days ago at uh, the United Nations General Assembly, uh, 78th session 
that is taking place in New York City. Now we want to listen to the remarks of the representative minister of state for uh, the Republic of Burkina Faso, also in West Africa and also a part of uh, the Sahel Security Alliance. Let's listen in. I now give the floor to His Excellency Basulma Bazi, Minister of State, Minister of Civil Service of Burkina Faso. Excellency, distinguished president of the 78th session of the UN General Assembly, distinguished secretary general of the United Nations, distinguished participants, on behalf of His Excellency Captain Ibrahim Traoré, president of the transition head of state, I convey to you the warm greetings of the people and government of Burkina Faso on behalf of the Burkina Bay people. I pay a humble tribute to the memory of those great world leaders who embodied the hopes and dreams for a just and equitable world through their commitment, determination, and sacrifice. I'm thinking in particular of Fidel Castro of Cuba, Patrice Emery Lumumba of Congo, Muribo Kate of Mali, Ruben Umnyobe and Felix Mumier of Cameroon, Sylvanius Olympio of Togo, Che Guevara of Argentina, Martin Luther King, and Malcolm X of the USA, Nelson Mandela of South Africa, Jomo Kenyatta of Kenya, Amilcar Cabral of Guinea-Bissau and Cabo Verde, Marian Nugabi of the Republic of Congo, Captain Noel Isidore Toma Sankara of Burkina Faso and others. These leaders were largely executed violently. Others were assassinated. They died in prisons or from poisoning. Their only crime in each case was embodying the dreams, ambitions, and hopes of the peoples that have been killed, raped, trampled, and pillaged. Mr. President, my presence at this august podium before the UN on behalf of Burkina Faso, a country of upstanding men, is not to beat my breast in lamentation. And I am not here either to make a flowery speech. I was sent here to tell you that the lies of states, diplomatic hypocrisy, the thirst for power, the frenetic quest for profit, the diabolical spirit of domination and exploitation of man by man, these are the true wounds that poison our coexistence and drive all societies toward perdition, including our organization, the UN. His Excellency, Mr. Antonio Guterres, Secretary General of the UN. His Excellency, Mr. Joe Biden, President of the United States. His Excellency, Dennis Francis, Representative of Trinidad and Tobago to the UN, 
elected president of the 78th session of the General Assembly. His Excellency Luis Inacio Lula da Silva, president of the Republic of Brazil. Allow me to hear cite excerpts from your respective statements delivered at this very podium at the opening of this 78th session. First of all, and I quote, we are living in an upside-down world. Bodies litter the beaches where billionaires bask. Secondly, and I quote, we are at a crossroads. We have a common cause that is leaving to our children a world with a better social environment, end quote. This for the third person, despite difficulties, we can emerge from this. What we lack is not ability but political will. Otherwise, we'd be able to provide progress and peace for all, end quote. And for the fourth personage I'm citing, quote, there's a dissonance between rhetoric and practice, the facts. The UN Security Council is paralyzed. The UN must shoulder its responsibilities in a world of solidarity and justice as laid out in the UN Charter, and this requires it to have the courage to fight inequality, end quote. The quintessence of these statements by these four august personages clearly shows that inequality throughout the world is deliberate. Otherwise, with a modicum of courage and political will, we would be able, if not to eradicate them, at least to minimize them. Indeed, every year we hear so many speeches as well as promises and commitments, but the proof of dissonance between rhetoric and facts on these issues relating to principles in the UN Charter, including justice, equality, dignity, integrity, self-determination, the sovereignty of states, the inviolability of territory and respect for international law, the proof of this dissonance lies in what's happening in Libya, in the Sahel, especially in Niger, and the crisis between Russia and Ukraine. First of all, in Libya, after the catastrophic flooding, thousands of people lost their lives. To assuage our consciences, every nation rushed to provide their condolences and solidarity. This was, of course, to give the impression that we're living in a society and that we defend these values. Intellectual honesty requires, and the history of our conscience tells us, that we ought to sincerely apologize to the people, the Libyan people, for collectively and individually being complicit, whether it's through pass uh, passiveness or active complicity, for supporting those butchers who caused the first man-made disasters in Libya. It was this disaster that brought Libya to its knees by looting it and by killing its guide before the flooding plunged into further sorrow. And unfortunately, this human disaster was led by the UN under Resolution 1970, as well as the guilty silence and the complicity of ECOWAS and the African Union this macabre intervention with Nicolas Sarkozy's France spearheading the effort killed the Libyan guide Colonel Muammar Gaddafi on October 20, 2011. If our condolences to the Libyan people had the slightest bit of common sense and were not hypocritical, then this murderous diplomacy would never have uh, taken place. 
and now Niger is en route to becoming a second Libya. Next, international relations are tainted by great diplomatic diplomacy with no conscience or morals, dignity or integrity, justice nor peace. And this is proven because there is a clear uh, hunger for devouring prey. Today, we unfortunately must see that contrary to the good faith statements made at this UN podium, which call for respect for the UN Charter and international law, leaders representing the people of Niger, this brotherly people, were essentially forbidden from, ex from accessing the UN headquarters. Burkina Faso strongly condemns this underhanded maneuver, which uh, seems to belong to the practices of the past. And this can only be explained by a loss in, of essential values needed for any harmonious life in society. The UN should never be used as an instrument in the hands of any country. Pan-Africanist leaders who fought for African unity are grandparents who fell in dignity, shot by the colonialists, these great sons of Africa sacrificed themselves for the honor of their continent, who fought fiercely against the slave trade and neocolonialism. All of them are, have had their eternal rest disturbed. When they heard that a handful of exiles, African exiles, are holding Niger hostage, yes, dear African continent, just a handful of your children have decided to humiliate you through the shameless lies of a state starting with Niger. And therefore, I issue a sincere and solemn appeal to the people of Senegal, Benin, Niger, Ghana, Chad, Cote d'Ivoire, Guinea-Bissau, and all the people of Africa to stand up in fraternity and solidarity in Africa in order to prevent the imperialists from setting fire to Niger as they did in Libya. President. Secretary General, distinguished first participants. At this podium in the UN and before the entire world, I insist that ECOWAS, the African Union, and the UN must become true organizations of peoples instead of structures used by a minority of heads of state. They cannot be used and instrumentalized to destabilize brotherly countries by killing their leaders. This is the only way the UN Charter and international law could have any meaning. And lastly, speaking of, of the UN Charter and international law, the conflict between Russia and Ukraine is underway and is even desired by certain powers. And several Western countries, especially the US and the European Union, have uh, provided all forms of military support to this conflict. The Ukrainian civilian population are used as uh, volunteers, and some of them are even are piloting tanks. They were traded as patriots in this war. Mali, Niger, and Burkina Faso are dealing with a war that was imposed upon them by imperialism under the pretext of terrorists. And they, they, these are sowing terror and destruction, despite the UN Charter with principles of equality, justice, on one hand, and on the other hand, international law, which has been often cited 
here at the UN, there is a massive chasm between in the treatment of these different issues. For example, Che Burkina Faso, civilian populations are dealing with lethal incursions, monstrous attacks by terrorists, and they've decided to mobilize alongside the Defense and Security Forces. These populations uh, have been trained by the FDS and they are called Volunteers for the Defense of the Homeland. In Burkina Faso, we have 58,000 such volunteers, of which 42,000 are uh, communal volunteers and 16,000 are national volunteers, and they are fighting alongside the Defense and Security Forces, the FDS, and they were trained and are guided by them. They only act under the orders and the oversight of the FDS in accordance with regulations to protect their lives and their property. These are the patriots that certain heads of state of ECOWAS and the African Union, exploited by capitalist imperialist forces, are trying to describe to the international community as militias, and that is the shameless state-sponsored lie. Mr. President, if the international community were honest and sincere in its commitment to fight terrorism, it would have no problem with civilian populations training themselves to defend themselves. There is a clear lack of honesty in the international community. Here are a few examples. First of all, when Mali, Burkina Faso, Niger, and other countries organized along their common borders by pooling their forces to combat terrorism, France came out of nowhere to impose its instrument, that is G5 Sahel. Today, ECOWAS suddenly has established an intervention force to reestablish democracies. It announced a contribution of $2 billion U.S. dollars. But from the creation of this G5 Sahel until its dissolution, ECOWAS was only able to allocate $25 million U.S. dollars. So can they be really said to take seriously the defense of human lives as laid out in the Declaration of Human Rights and Peoples? Secondly, Burkina Faso is experiencing cynical sanctions after the coup d'etat of December, September 30, 2022. This so-called international community led by France, which is used as lackeys in Africa, uh, tried to nominate a prime minister in Burkina Faso, but vain, in vain. Then they tried to impose various ministers and strategic posts within the government of my country, again in vain. And lastly, they negotiated a con the continuing relations so that Captain Ibrahim Traoré would implement their will. This was their prerequisite for his uh, being in power. But he refused this in the name of the higher interests of his people. And as a result, an avalanche of repressive measures, threats, and attempted coup d'etat was unleashed upon him. These are un immoral maneuvers uh, concocted in criminal laboratories. And unfortunately, all of these uh, macabre maneuvers were led by puppet leaders of African countries. And that's the case for this famous uh, uh, Accra initiative even that was not able to last for long. Thirdly, in addition to cutting off aid uh, and other problems with our FDS, we are seeing a, block, a blockade on material equipment for us, again, led by France. For example, for the important uh, air defense equipment needed to control and defend our territory, we had a contract with Brazil 
and the weapons license was supposed to come from Belgium, and the navigation and firing system, as well as the video cameras, was supposed to come from the U.S., and, and motor was supposed to come, and engine was supposed to come from Canada. But these, uh, this equipment was all cynically blocked. You talk about defending human rights at the U.N., so therefore I ask you to deliver to us our weapons that we need to defend and protect our peoples who are being killed. In any case, I am solemnly informing you of this. If nothing is done, history will hold you responsible for failing to assist people in danger. Distinguished Secretary General and President of the General Assembly, members of the international community, their international community has failed to assist states attacked by terrorism. There's been international hypocrisy, and certain powers dominate the UN. They are complicit in pillaging Africa. Shouldn't this international community be brought before the International Criminal Court for all of this? Our security must be assured by us ourselves, first and foremost, not by anyone else. When it comes to the Wagner presence in Burkina Faso, which has been... Uh, which has been covered by a puppet press controlled by, the, by France, I would respond that we have, it's our brave SDS that is defending our homeland. Consequently, from this high tribune of the United Nations that magnifies the sacrifice of my country in, on behalf of national interest, I here applaud the memory of all those who fell with, due to weapons, magnifying the courage and integrity of those who are still alive, inexorably sacrificing for victory for our people and safeguarding our country. Rather than stopping the human bloodshed, it's fallacious accusations that have occurred and lies wrapped in hypocritical diplomacy and veiled threats to indicate to our partners that they need what how we need to behave ourselves and we say no on behalf of the united nations charter itself and international law that you raise to defend yourselves and here in this tribune the african peoples and those of the sahel and specifically are resolutely committed to fully assuming their full emancipation for true social progress and thus burkina faso will work with its partners that it wants to work with in a sovereign manner and buy from who it wants and defend how it wants. The fact that a country called Russia, Iran, Turkey, Azerbaijan, Cuba, Nicaragua, North Korea, or Burkina Faso can buy and sell their goods freely without any intermediary, without any authorization from anyone, no matter what happens. Mr. President and Secretary General, let's talk about hypocrisy. And let's talk about state lies in this issue of fighting terrorism, generally speaking, in the Sahel specifically. Perhaps you don't ignore what I'm about to say, but let me lay out my arguments. First, in the Sahel, we have some 10,000 soldiers, armed soldiers, that are foreign soldiers. Most of them are French soldiers, but there are also American soldiers, Germans, Italian, etc. They have weapons. They have flying equipment, they have surveillance equipment, which is the most sophisticated in the world, and yet they don't see the hundreds of terrorists that are moving around in order to serve death and desolation, often with unimaginable weapons at their side. 
in Mali, in Nigeria, in Burkina Faso. There is no factory to manufacture weapons nor manu munitions. So who is recruiting these terrorists? Who is training them? Who is providing them with weapons? Who feeds them and with what means? Do you believe in this philanthropy on behalf of whom the Westerners have sent their armies to the Sahel to die for our beautiful blue eyes? Well, if you believe that, then what justifies the diplomatic irritation and other gesticulation of France when we told them to skedaddle with their armies? The real reason is really about the resources that are underground in the Sahel. Indeed, the National French Assembly voted and enacted Law 057 of 10 January of 1957, which then appeared in the official journal of the French Republic of January 1957, which led to the creation of the Common Organization of the Saharian Region, the OCRS, which brought together the parties of Mali, Burkina Faso, Niger, Mauritania, Algeria, etc. This zone is unparalleled in the world in terms of wealth underground. For example, the water table, the most significant water table in the world goes from Mauritania to Somalia and goes through Mali, Algeria, Libya, Niger, etc. The newspaper Le Monde in July 1957 put forth a figure of six to seven million tons of oil found below our soil, potentially in the Sahara, in addition to the natural resources that we also have, such as uranium, gold, cobalt, zinc, diamonds, lithium, copper, etc. You, the Westerners, you so much love the Sahel people, so much that you bring your military and your armies to die in the name of democracy, in the name of freedom and human rights and peace, then why is it that an African continent with some 1.3 billion people and the second largest continent of the world in terms of people with a number that the interpreter cannot figure out of the number of square kilometers, and 54 states has no permanent seat within the Security Council, such a huge continent with so many people and no right of veto. How do you justify that? Does that not go beyond a state crime? Is it not beyond a crime of the UN that that is happening? So let's stop with the diplomatic lying, the gross lies, which basically involves imperialist powers coming to the Sahel to defend, quote-unquote, democracy and human rights. And let's talk about human rights for a minute. Let's remind ourselves here of the first charter in the world on the issue of human rights was the Kurokan Fuga in Mali in 1236. That was the first document that addressed that. And let's go to the second issue, which is Africa does not like to compare deaths. That would be ill-mannered on our part to do so. So I will respectfully bow to the memory of all nationalities of people who lost their lives in Africa and in the Sahel specifically. But if we look at the hazards that are involved and we look at the unfortunate and condescending attitude of the president of the French Republic, Emmanuel Macron, often who verges on the ridiculous while glorifying a hypothetical condescension vis-a-vis -vis African people. And I have to impose on myself here the duty of giving him a little lesson on history, on his own history, because this is why your classrooms are full of children that are learning their lessons well and growing up in other words, turn to this story at the risk of losing the real story forever. But let me clarify here that no African people is opposed to the French people. There's no anti-French sentiment in Africa, nor is there any issue with our legendary hospitality and our love of our neighbors.
Rather, the African people refused the condescendence, the arrogance, the insolence, the sufficiency, the paternal attitude, the looting of our resources and organized crime. That's our problem. Indeed, for your memory, Mr. Emmanuel Macron, first, let me remind you here that through the BBC in England on the 14th of June, 1940, an appeal was launched by your own grandfather, General de Gaulle, to Africa to come and save France from the grip of the Nazis. Let me remind you, 17,000 Malians died during the two world wars. This is a blood debt that France and has hidden. And if we look at the book of Bakari Kamian, the professor of the University of Sorbonne in France, says, and in that same document, in page 345, there's a table that looks at the war and the loss of lives in the two wars people from Mali, Burkina Faso, and Nigeria, 80, over 82,000 fallen soldiers from those countries in those wars, and over 154,000 soldiers. And this is from a French source, a book by Henri Léger, Report on the End of the AOF Mission, from 1950 it was published. And this is in the archives of Senegal. Please see Annex 5. Now, Moving on to the next argument, the 17 November 1986, François Mitterrand, the French president at the time, in response to Captain Sankara said, and I quote, Africa was looted, and here I'm talking about raw materials. I should have talked about people. For centuries, we exploited you at a human level. We stole your men, your women, your children. We used you. I understand your refusal, I understand your revolt, and I approve of your fight. You are right to refuse to be a sacrificed continent. The time has come for you to develop your own economies based on your own goods and people. And the duty of these countries who abusively used you and used African labor, their duty is to restore to Africa what was taken from them over the last few centuries, end of quote. Indeed, Africa was always openly looted and pillaged, but still there is a great deal of wealth in our continent of people and mineral resources. By way of proof, let's talk about mineral resources. Africa has 30% of the worldwide mineral reserves, 40% of gold reserves, 33% of diamond reserves, 80 percent of Colton reserves used for telephones, 60 percent of cobalt reserves for batteries, 55 percent of uranium reserves. So it's for the defense of this Africa that the young people of Africa stand more than ever. Mr. Macron, do you still need a little bit of history in order to remember? Finally, before the regrettable exit and the unfortunate exit of Emmanuel Macron, the French president, he was attacked by so many other politicians and compatriots who live in the African bosom. But let me remind you here, despite that, German, the Germany, Germans have some 83 million inhabitants with a, superfic, super, a land surface of 340,000 square kilometers compared to Congo with 95 million inhabitants and over 2,345,000 square kilometers. Belgium has 11 million inhabitants and over 30,000 square kilometers, compared to Gabon with 2.5 million inhabitants and 267,000 square kilometers. France now has 68 million inhabitants and over 672,000 square kilometers compared to Nibia with 2.5 million inhabitants and 825,000 square kilometers. So all of this clearly shows 
and I quote, peace to his soul. Africa is the only continent in the world where the people sing and dance and applaud those who impoverish them, who starve them, and who torture them. The misfortune of Africa is to have met France, end of quote. It's true that the West was violent with Africa, raped it, and stole from Africa. So what is our share of the responsibility in all of this as African leaders? Is it not us, the African leaders, who have abandoned our identity? Our names have disappeared in order to make way for other names that do not match our realities. We need to reconquer our own culture and take ownership. And that's why today people try to make us believe that our values and our ad attitudes are not natural and are not part of freedom and that there will never be a question of homosexuality for us. Let me repeat that. Homosexuality will not take root in our countries. Mr. President, now what's just been described are very unfortunate labels used by the UN that can be summed up as follows. 1.2 million people who are in the depths of poverty, 2,000 $2.2 billion of the United States money in, invested in weapons, 20 times the budget of the United Nations invested in the nuclear, and all of these should be compared to issues of development. Africa gets from the IMF and the World Bank $34 billion vis-a-vis -vis $160 billion invested in the West. The paralysis of the Security Council, the paralysis of the World Trade Organization, increasing tensions due to geostrategic repositioning. The World Health Organization, which is increasingly dominated by Western pharmaceutical companies and trade interests. We see this, for example, with the priority attached in terms of trade to vaccines against COVID-19. The United Nations is more and more in the shadows of its own attempts of being taken hostage by a conglomerate of international powers. Now, by consequence of all this, the African people, generally speaking, and in the Sahel specifically, will fight tooth and nail so that ECOWAS and the African Union and even the United Nations become service institutions truly in the service of the peoples of the world for the profound emancipation of these peoples and true social progress. Because the lack of these organizations, their inefficiency, their lack of sincerity, their client-based decisions and variable geometry, their crimes, the promotion of bad governance, looting, dis social disorganization, and corruption all lead unfailingly to coup d'etat, which are then just consequences of all the aforementioned. So let's look at the root causes, which will disappear. If we continue with this putting our heads in the sand like the ostrich, with this hypocritical form of diplomacy, with state-sponsored crimes and organized crime, state-sponsored lies, constitutional lies and the making heads of state for Africa. Even the United Nations will not be spared this coup d'etat. In this regard, and in order to take our destiny in our own hands, Mali, Niger, and Burkina Faso signed the Partnership of the States of the Sahel, which is abbreviated as the AES. The AES is an architecture that was set up to secure our countries by a treaty with revised authority for development, including the region of Liptogorma. Taking into account the security situation and the lack of a partnership 
What's at stake here is our own resources and working together in order to eradicate discontinuity in operational maneuvering. Mr. President, I say here with force and firmly in an intelligible and highly spoken voice the following. First, we African peoples are profoundly democratic by way of proof our attachment to human dignity goes beyond democracy. It transcends it. What we refuse is the lesser democracy, this trap of democracy, which has been extended. Electoral-based democracy, which turned out to be a way of controlling our states through playing musical chairs with the leaders who are often imposters and corrupt, who steal and rape. Second, we Africans are today recognized in our dignity as people in the sense of one person is equal to one person? The answer is no. Above and beyond circumstances that have been set forth to put us to sleep, but rather to serve us. Sad is the African and black continent, which is scientifically recognized as the very cradle of humanity and civilization that has been placed under control and domination. Independent factions who have engaged in fratricidal wars and election-based democracy with biased aids, wars for terrorism which are maliciously fabricated and maintained, injected against us, especially in Mali, Burkina Faso, and Niger. Dominating us, that's what it's all about. Stepping on our necks, as was the case of the unfortunate George Floyd in the United States. Is that democracy? These are partisans of a special kind of liberty that is intellectually justified to justify barbarism against our peoples, fighting supposedly for dignity and sovereignty. And that's why we have decided to say no. No to all these so-called friends who want our so-called good or who threaten us with war, to impose their friendship. That's why we, want, we don't want the democracy sold to us by wolves in sheep's clothing. We need to provide adequate leadership for our people so they can seek their own happiness, for the full emancipation and true social progress for our people, be it economic, social, social, cultural, or security development. Third, the African people, generally speaking, and in the Sahel specifically, have discovered the chains of economic, security, social, cultural alienation that have materialized in secret agreements with France where they committed to break their true emancipation. This includes, amongst others, the colonial debt. We will not turn a blind eye to this and pay it while allowing our people to die of hunger or thirst or disease. Second, the issue of the currency, the franc CFA. This is called the franc of the French African colonies. This is not African property. Legally speaking, Property is the right to be able to dispose of something in the most absolute way, according to Article 544 of the French Civil Code. A patent is therefore held by France on the currency of the French CFA, and therefore it is the property, but it's the property of the African Francophone states. And what's amusing here is that the bills are produced by France for West Africa, and they're different from those of Central Africa, even though it's supposedly the same currency. The same document recognizes the 
French CFA by Decree 45 of the 26th December 1945. And it was signed, this legislation was signed by Charles de Gaulle, President of the Temporary French Government, René Plévin, Ministry of Finance, and Jacques Soussnel, the Minister of Colonies at the time. Next, the priority and interest for French companies in bids for public procurement and public offers. And finally, the exclusive right to provide equipment, and military equipment and other types of military officers and colonies. If we ignore that these coup d'etats are often the result of bad governance and constitutional maneuvers in order to provide additional mandates, that will always happen. We need to be lucid about this and root out the real causes and require respect of democratic rules and virtuous governance. Five, the African people don't have a problem with the French people. It's rather the French policies and politics we have a problem with, the condescendence. That's what we reject. Refusing an ambassador to Niger is a violation of international law, especially Article uh, 1 and 2 of the Vienna Convention, Paragraph 9, on diplomatic relations of 1961. By deciding to refuse artists from Burkina Faso, Mali, and Niger in France, that is a serious undermining of cultural wealth and refusal of recognition. An artist is a psychic doctor, even at long distance. By declaring them, we do not want to have people unemployed, migrants and thieves and so forth in France. We do not want the looting, the cynical looting of our resources. What we want is a sincere recognition of our people throughout the world, which includes Burkina Faso, Mali, and Niger, that we should be accompanied in this difficult time on our path towards full emancipation with expression of dignity, honor, liberty, equality, prosperity, justice, and then, of course, peace. Given the situation currently in Burkina Faso, the Burkina Bay government has implemented vigorous action to adopt a new development plan, the Action Plan for Stabilization and Development, with four main pillars of priorities. First, to fight terrorism and restore territorial integrity. Second, response to the humanitarian crisis. Three, restore the state and improve governance. And finally, national reconciliation and social cohesion. These efforts are geared to providing the Burkina Bay population with better living conditions while commending our partners who have accompanied us, we heartily invite them, those who still have a doubt or who might be tempted by the false content of reports on what is happening, we invite them to accompany us with the following conditions. Long live the United Nations. Long live this 78th session of the General Assembly. Long live the people who fight. Long live solidarity, long live free Africa, long live the states of the Sahel, long live until victory. The Minister of State, Minister of Civil Service of Burkina Faso. I now give the floor. That was the Minister of State of Burkina Faso. Uh, giving a powerful address at the United Nations General Assembly, 78th session, 
that was held uh, just this last past week. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of our program. All over the earth, and all of my They will see. They will hear. It is good. entitled It Is Good, uh, When a Man Can Think for Himself. You're listening to the Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast uh, for Sunday, September 24th, uh, 2023. We're broadcasting from our studios in downtown Detroit. We're going to go back to the United Nations General Assembly, uh, 78th session held in New York City. We'll listen uh, to the address delivered uh, by the newly uh, appointed uh, Prime Minister, of Gabon. I have great pleasure in welcoming His Excellency Raymond Dong Sima, Prime Minister of the Gabonese Republic, and, and invite him to address the Assembly. Mr. President of the General Assembly, Mr. Secretary General, 
Excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. President, I'd like to extend my warm congratulations to you on your election to the presidency of this 78th Ordinary Session of the General Assembly. I further pay tribute to your predecessor, Mr. Xaba Korozi, for his work during his term. And I'd like to express the confidence of my country to the Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, for his bold and multiform action to implement reforms, to achieve and accelerate the achievement of the Sustainable Development Goals on the one hand, and to promote international peace and security. Mr. President, I stand before this august assembly in an unprecedented context for my country, my country which has emerged from trials and tribulations following a chaotic electoral process which was interrupted on 30 August by the security and defense forces. This intervention was, of course, condemned by the international community as a violation of the democratic requirements for the handover of power. It would, however, be useful to provide a balance of information and to allay some suspicions. It would be useful to recall specifically what the Gabonese political context was which preceded this takeover of power and justified it. It would be a mistake from our point of view to hand down judgments or to lump things together and not take into account the reality of our context. If I may, first and foremost, I'd like to recall for everyone here the experience of the 2016 presidential election. And the current situation is a result of that election. Everyone will recall that election was reported on by the electoral mission of the European Union, which looked at the circumstances around it and denounced it as a fraudulent process, one that was insincere and stripped of any transparency with results that challenged the very laws of statistics. It was characterized especially by violence, the loss of human life in significant numbers, and damage to goods for all. In order to mitigate the situation, the social cost of which was quite high, in 2017, a dialogue was organized, which ended up in a return to elections twice. This small concession to democracy, which was once again postponed to 2013 before it could even take place. So the regime had no intention of renouncing its fraudulent strategy. Between 2017 and 2022, there were no preparations made for the elections that were supposed to be held according to the Constitution at the very latest on the 26th of August, 2023. The elections, the preparations only started in February of 2023 and led to an unimaginable number of twists and distortions in the constitutional framework, the legislative and regulatory framework, for the elections, including when the election process had already been launched. I could mention just a couple of examples in a non-exhaustive list of them. Let me start with the return to one round of elections. The choice of a president of the Gabonese Election Center, which is notoriously partial as a member of, uh, known to the party in power. 
the absence of reliability of the electoral lists, which had people on it that were known to be deceased, the suppression of provisions that allowed for the representation of candidates in several different locations with a flagrant violation of the principle of equality, modification in the violation of the simple principle of the hierarchy of norms and legislative provisions as part of the laws set forth for elections. And the merging of candidates for presidential and legislative elections. We can see that these modifications were rejected without any review by a constitutional court when the people appealed for justice. Any observer who is attentive, honest, and in good faith of Gabonese political life in recent years would be fully aware of the unraveling of the situation. Everyone within the Gabonese opposition sought out diplomatic missions on the ground in August, and then on the 9th of August, 2023, went to the special representative of the Secretary General of the United Nations for Africa, Central Africa, residing in Libreville, to try to alert him to the shape of things in the electoral process and the danger of maintaining the state of affairs. And I need to state this here without any ambiguity. Neither the political actors nor the voters themselves, no one was prepared to accept once again electoral misconduct. This determination, which was known to all, did not prevent the Gabonese Center for Elections from sending urns under its exclusive control and that were not sealed and then to proceed to fraudulent records of the elections and the results. And the results obtained in this manner could only lead to, after they were announced, clashes. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. President, given the situation, the Defense and Security Forces had a choice. They could either prepare to repress the protests running the risk that sooner or later they would be persecuted in international courts for their responsibility, or they could choose to decide to interrupt a fraudulent and dangerous electoral process, one that was dangerous to national cohesion. They chose the second option in order to put an end to the risk of a fire which would have engulfed the very foundation of Gabonese society and that would have spared not have spared the many foreign people living in Gabon. They chose what was responsible. They chose the second option to stop the possibility of a fire which, have, as I said before, would have completely overwhelmed Gabonese society. It would not have been reasonable or responsible to allow such a situation to continue the ensuing cycle of violence would have led to overwhelming disaster. As a result, this military intervention, without any bloodshed, without any material damage, was seen as the lesser of two evils. And the people approved it with a very large majority, as reflected by the spontaneous outbreaks of jubilation that were seen in images broadcast around the world and whereby the majority of the political class was actually relieved 
to have avoided an uncertain outcome. Henceforth, to condemn such a process would be to support the idea that it would have been better to allow the clashes and conflict to take place and then to be counting the number of victims afterwards since no one in the opposition, no one was prepared to allow this election to be hijacked once again. Mr. President, ladies and gentlemen, while this intervention was necessary, we could not be satisfied with allowing the status quo to prevail. Without any delay in an inclusive manner, we need to prepare reform and return to an ordinary institutional process that would allow for the handing over of power through elections. The transition government's roadmap, transition government that I have been leading for the last two weeks, is geared to restoring confidence and to making major correction to the electoral framework and to restore institutions and prepare them for implementing these reforms. The expected deliverables will come following national conferences, adoption of a new constitution that reflects our social contract, and enacting laws that include legislative elections that lead to free, transparent, and credible elections. And that's why already next week we have planned a press conference where I will at that time indicate the timeline for consultations with the political class as a whole and civil society. And I will take that opportunity to outline the program and schedule of the various stages that will lead to new elections. And from this point of view, what Gabon needs most is encouragement and accompaniment to accomplish these tasks in a timeline that everyone sees as reasonable. And I take this opportunity then to launch a solemn appeal to all of our bilateral, regional, and multilateral partners to accompany us and support the people's desire for national health with a view to strengthening the rule of law and democracy for shared prosperity. At this turning point in our destiny and in our history, the Gabonese people are united in its support for the Committee for Transition and Restoration of Institution and will remember with appreciation the solidarity and the trust of the peoples of Africa and around the world who stand at their side in order to preserve our place in the concert of nations. Monsieur le Président. President, 78 years after the UN was created, an endless cycle of crises continues to cloud aspirations and darken the horizon for sustainable peace between and within nations. The multiple crises of solidarity, security crises, humanitarian crises, health crises, climate crises, geopolitical crises, fuel sentiments of mistrust vis-à-vis -vis international institutions and mechanisms. Indeed, the system of collective and indivisible security advocated for by the United Nations Charter patently appears as fiction in numerous regions of the world. Pray the upheavals of war, particularly in Africa and the region of Sahel, the Horn of Africa, the region of the Great Lakes, they have become true epicenters of instability. In the majority of these regions, predation for natural resources is a significant source of conflict to a point where these resources become a real curse for the countries that possess them. President, today we are at an inflection point which requires each and every member of the international community 
to take ownership once again of the objectives of the UN Charter. And it requires that they reconcile a reconciliation with the aspirations of peoples of the world. It is crucial to reframe the social contract between nations, whatever their size or population, and bearing in mind that every people counts. We must, above all, recalibrate how we project our identity as peoples of the world, prioritizing dialogue each and every time over fighting, prioritizing cooperation over the spirit of us versus them. We must, without further ado, carry out a real structural transformation of the peace and security architecture of our organization and adapt um, uh, mechanisms for promoting peace and security to a global context marked by ever-changing crises and conflicts. This is why the theme of this session is so relevant. It is focused on the need to rebuild confidence and to reignite solidarity to accelerate the implementation of the 2030 Agenda. President. Gabon reaffirms that prevention is a tool that is more than essential. It must be at the heart of our actions if we wish to see consolidated and lasting peace. The efforts of the international community in terms of prevention have so far been slow, ill-adapted and underfunded. Indeed, the absence of sufficient resources for the work of our organization for prevention and peace building has a last, a last contributed to a resurgence of creases during transitions or it has given rise to new conflicts. Our generation has responsibility towards future generations to leave them a world that is safer, a world where the threats to peace and security linked to the proliferation of mass, weapons of mass destruction has been curbed. We should leave them a world without a nuclear threat President, there is still a considerable gap between our actions and our commitments. It is time to bridge this gap, particularly on the crucial issue of financing climate action. Gabon has invested for decades on the preservation of biodiversity and has shown constant commitment to the fight against climate change. New financial debt for nature compacts provide opportunities to increase budgets for allocated to protect biodiversity and to respond to the unsustainable debt of developing countries and to fight climate change. Through this new green financing mechanism, my country has just benefited from a restructuration of 3% of its debt in return for a commitment to invest $163 million to preserve our marine ecosystems. We must go further in this vein. I invite, therefore, international financial partners to increase the numbers of initiatives to convert debt so that we can address the challenges of, climate, of, of global warming, the loss of biodiversity and sustainable development. It's through a multilateral approach and by reviewing how we respond to these challenges that we'll be able to effectively address the multiform challenges that are standing before humanity. President, the Agenda 2030 is our shared roadmap to address global challenges. However, with less than 10 years to go, progress is unequal and insufficient. Poverty, hunger, social inequality, shortcomings in terms of health and education, lack of sufficient funding for the SDGs, all of this is seriously jeopardizing the implementation of this ambitious agenda.
Throughout the transition period that I'm leading, I plan on redoubling my country's efforts to accelerate the implementation of the 2030 Agenda through strengthening in a practical and pragmatic way our national policies and also through encouraging public-private partnerships that are innovative. Also, I intend to focus on local action carried out by authorities, the civil society and the private sector, fully involving citizens, particularly young people and women. It is crucial that the international community be able to increase its support to developing countries. Further funding is indeed necessary, particularly for the most vulnerable countries. The various different summits that have been organized in the sidelines of this session, particularly on financing for development, climate ambitions, universal health coverage, are all an opportunity for the international community to translate goodwill into joint action and to accelerate the implementation of the SDGs. President, within the United Nations system, exclusion and marginalization loom large over our efforts to coexist. Africa must find its, be able to find its rightful place as a fully-fledged actor on the international stage and not simply a stake for the world's powers. Indeed, more than 78 years after the creation of the UN, the world has completely changed. The international context has completely changed. The geopolitical landscape has completely changed. The nature of wars has literally been transformed. Technology has completely revolutionized our day-to-day -day life, but the structure of our institutions essentially remains unchanged, particularly in terms of our collective security. To address the challenges of the future, our security architecture must reflect current and future realities. We must update our international institutions as well as our mentalities, how we envisage lasting peace, shared prosperity and coexistence. We must reinvent solutions to contemporary threats, particularly climate change and cyber insecurity. We must, when faced with a crisis of international solidarity which is fueling adjacent crises on the economic, humanitarian health or food fronts, we, must, we cannot address these challenges of this century with the tools from the last one. President, in the light of these dark facts, we are convinced of the need to act, to implement three fundamental axes that are able to make the multilateral system more credible and more inclusive. Firstly, we must reform the Security Council without further ado. It must, be, it must represent today's reality and the current and future challenges we face. Secondly, we must also redefine our rules and our mechanisms so that we can address how insecurity and terrorism are evolving. It's a question of guaranteeing inclusivity and solidarity so, we have, so that there is no more room for double standards. We must also more concertedly attack the root causes of conflicts and crises. Thirdly, we must build a new social contract, a new global compact between generations, between those who govern and those who are governed, between the global and the regional, with a focus particularly on young people, women, civil society, and the private sector. In this new social contract for the future, bridges must always replace walls. Education must always loosen the stranglehold of ignorance and intolerance. Multilateralism must prevail over unilateral stances. 
and the logic of dialogue must always prevail over the logic of antagonism and jockeying for influence. President, to conclude, I wish to underscore our demand to respond to present and future generations. This intergenerational solidarity is a moral obligation vis-à-vis -vis those who will have no choice but to inherit the consequences of the choices we make today. We owe them a response that assuages their fears, meets their needs and their legitimate aspirations to live in peace, in dignity and prosperity. It's with these existential questions in mind that we have taken, shouldered our responsibilities and that we have resolutely committed to put our action in line with the expectations of our people. Thank you very much. On behalf of the Assembly, yes, I wish to thank the Prime Minister of the Government of the Republic for the statement just made. We have heard the last speaker in the general debate for this meeting. The 11th plenary meeting to continue with the general debate will begin at 3 p.m. The meeting is adjourned. That was uh, the newly appointed uh, Prime Minister of Gabon, an oil-rich country in the western regions of Central Africa. The uh, last uh, two speakers prior to that uh, from uh, Mali and Burkina Faso were highly critical of France and its legacy in uh, Africa. And if you want to uh, read more about these developments uh, taking place on the African continent and indeed throughout the entire international community, just log on to the Pan-African Newswire. Uh, that is at uh, panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And the Pan-African Newswire has been covering very closely uh, developments uh, in the Sahel and West Africa and throughout the entire uh, African continent. This is the Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast uh, for early uh, Monday morning, uh, September 25th, uh, 2023. We're broadcasting uh, from our studios uh, in downtown Detroit. If you'd like to have access to this program, as well as over 13 other archived editions of the Pan-African Journal worldwide radio broadcast, all you need to do is go to our website at the Pan-African Radio Network. You can reach the Pan-African Radio Network at the following URL, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. Right now, we want to listen to another address uh, from the Foreign Minister of the Russian Federation, Sergei Lavrov. Africa has been taking a correct position on the situation in Ukraine. Just recently, there was a Russia-Africa summit that took place in St. Petersburg in the Russian Federation. Other summits uh, that have been taking place uh, leading up to the United Nations General Assembly include uh, the BRICS summit that was held in Johannesburg, South Africa, which is based uh, by six additional states. There was also uh, the G77 plus China summit that took place in Havana, Cuba last week that issued a very bold and far-reaching 
declaration calling essentially for a new world economic and political order. There was also the Africa Climate Summit uh, that took place in Kenya several weeks ago as well. So all of these uh, summits and conferences and gatherings took place leading up to the United Nations General Assembly 78th session. Right now we want to listen to the Russian Foreign Minister, Sergei Lavrov, and his address uh, just uh, this week at uh, the United Nations General Assembly in New York. I now give the floor to His Excellency Sergei Lavrov, Minister of Foreign Affairs of the Russian Federation. Mr. President, ladies and gentlemen, in the statements of many previous speakers, the idea that our shared planet is experiencing irreversible changes was mentioned right in front of our eyes. There is a new world order being born. Our future is being shaped by a struggle, a struggle between the global majority in favor of a fairer distribution of global benefits and civilized diversity and between the few who wield neocolonial methods of subjugation in order to maintain the, their domination, which is slipping through their hands. The collective West has a calling card, and it has long been to reject the principle of equality and their total inability to reach agreement. Being used to looking down at the rest of the world, Americans and Europeans make all sorts of promises and they take on commitments into ALIA, written ones and legally binding ones, and then they just don't fulfill them. As President Putin pointed out, the West is one that is truly an empire of lies. Russia, like many countries, knows about this firsthand. In 1945, when we, along with Washington and London, together were vanquishing the enemy on the front in the Second World War, our allies in the anti-Hitler coalition were already making plans for a un thinkable military operation. That's what it was called against the Soviet Union. Four years later, in 1949, the Americans drafted a drop shot operation to make mass scale nuclear strikes on the USSR. These ghastly, senseless ideas did remain on paper. The USSR uh, created its own weaponized retaliation. It took the Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962 uh, when the world was on the brink of nuclear war, for the idea of deploying it and the illusion of victory stopped being the basis of the military planning strategy of the U.S. At the end of this Cold War, the Soviet Union plays a decisive role in reuniting Germany and agreed upon parameters for the new security architecture in Europe. Furthermore, the Soviet and then the Russian leadership was given concrete political assurances regarding the non-expansion of the NATO military alliance to the east. 
The relevant records of these negotiations are both in our and Western archives, and they're in open access, but these assurances by Western leaders were just uh, deception. They in no way intended to uphold them. Furthermore, they were never bothered by the fact that by expanding NATO towards Russia's borders, they violated official commitments that were made at the highest level in the OSCE, commitments not to strengthen their own security to the detriment of the security of others and not to permit a military political domination in Europe of any country, group of countries or organization. In 2021, our proposals to conclude treatment, treaties rather on mutual security guarantees in Europe were rudely rejected without any change to the status of Ukraine being outside the alliance. The West continued its ongoing militarization of Russophobic Kiev regime that was brought to power as a result of a bloody coup and started to use this to wage a hybrid war against our country. Something that has been unprecedented since the end of the Cold War was a recent number of joint exercises between the US and their European NATO allies into allied to develop scenarios for the use of nuclear weapons in the Russian Federation. The stated aim of inflicting a strategic defeat on Russia and once and for all this became crystal clear uh, the fact that they are clearly hell-bent on their own impunity and they're bereft of their basic desire for self-preservation. Uh, headed up by Washington NATO countries, not older, only are expanding and modernizing their offensive capabilities, but also are shifting the armed um, into space and the information sphere, a new dangerous manifestation of the expansionism was extending the alliance's area of responsibility to the entire eastern side of the world using the pernicious slogan of the indivisibility of security, the Eurasian and Indo-Asian Pacific region. To this aim, Washington is creating its subordinate military political alliances like AUKUS, the Troika of the US, Japan and the Republic of Korea, the Quartet, Tokyo, Seoul, Canberra and Wellington by pushing the participants of these structures to practical cooperation with NATO. This is bringing its infrastructure into the Pacific area. It is obvious that such efforts are targeted against Russia and China and on the collapse of the inclusive regional architecture of ASEAN. This runs the risk of creating new explosive hotbeds of geopolitical tension in addition to that which is hotting up very significantly around Europe. One certainly has the impression that the U.S. and the Western collective that is fully subordinate to it have decided to turn the Monroe Doctrine into a global one. These ideas are totally illusory. They're extreme, but the Pax Americana will not stop it. 
the global major- minority rather is doing all it can to put the brakes on the acceleration of the natural course of events. The Vilnius Declaration of NATO on strengthening partnership between Russia and China has been characterized as a threat to NATO. Speaking to his ambassadors abroad, President Macron said he was really concerned about the expansion of BRICS, deeming that this shows that it, quote, complicates the situation in the international sphere in order to run, and it runs the risk of weakening the West, in particular Europe. A review of the world order is underway, as is of its principles, and is undermining the way that uh, the West is working. This is the end of that quote. So here's a revelation. If anybody wants to meet without us, become closer without us, or without our consent, then that poses a threat. The pushing of NATO into the Asia-Pacific region is something good, but the expansion of BRICS is dangerous. However, this logic is inexorable. The main trend has become for the global majority to uh, strengthen uh, their national interests, their sovereignty, their traditions, their culture, and their way of life. They don't want to live under anybody's yoke anymore. They want to make friends between themselves. Um, solely on an equal footing and for mutual benefit. And such organizations such as BRICS and the Shanghai Cooperation Organization are on the rise, and they are defending their rightful role in forming objectively our multipolar architecture. Perhaps for the first time since 1945 when the UN was established, there is now a chance for genuine democratization of global affairs. This inspires optimism for all those who believe in the rule of law internationally and who want to see the revival of the UN as a central coordinating body for global politics a body where decisions are made about how to reach decisions together, having a fair balance of interest. For Russia, it is clear that there's no other option. However, the US and its subordinate Western collective are continuing to fuel conflicts which artificially divide humanity into hostile blocks and hamper the achievement of overall aims. They're doing everything they can to prevent the formation of a genuine multipolar fair world order They are trying to force the world to play according to their own self-centered rules. I would like to urge Western politicians and diplomats once again to carefully reread the UN Charter, the cornerstone of the world order established at the end of the Second World War, is the democratic principle of the sovereign equality of states, large and small, irrespective of their form of government, of their domestic, political and socio-economic structures. However, the West still believes that it is superior to everybody else. In light of what was said, the pernicious statement by the EU head of diplomacy, Mr. Borello, namely that Europe is a blossoming garden and the rest is a jungle. He's not bothered by the fact that in the garden there's rampant Islamophobia and other forms of intolerance to traditional values for, of all world uh, religions, burnings of the Quran. Uh, of the Torah, persecutions of Orthodox clergy and disdain for the feelings of believers are very commonplace in Europe, a gross violation of the principle.
principle of sovereign equality is the use by the West of unilateral coercive measures. Countries which are victims of these illegal sanctions, and there are an increasing number of them, are well aware that restrictions harm first and foremost the most vulnerable strata of society. They provoke crises in the food and energy markets. We continue to insist on a swift and full cessation of the U.S.'s unprecedented, inhumane trade and economic financial blockade of Cuba and for a lifting of the absurd decision to declare Cuba a state sponsor of terrorism. Washington must, without any preconditions, abandon its policy of economic suffocation of Venezuela. We call for the lifting of unilateral sanctions by the U.S. and the EU against Syria that openly undermine its right to development. Any measures that circumvent the UN and that are coercive measures must be ended, as must the West's weaponized practice of manipulating the Security Council sanctioned policies to exert pressure on those they don't like, something which clearly demonstrates the West's uh, self-centeredness um, is their attempt to Ukrainize the international agenda uh, by pushing onto the back burner a number of unregulated or unsettled rather unresolved uh, regional conflicts or crises rather that many have been in place for decades now. Uh, the need in the Middle East really depend on solving the protracted Palestinian-Israeli conflict based on the UN resolutions and the Arab Peace Initiative. The Palestinians for more than 70 years now have been awaiting their solemnly uh, made promise to them of having their own state. However, the fact that the Americans are monopolizing the uh, mediation process means that they're doing everything they can not to allow this. We call for a pooling of efforts of all responsible countries to create conditions to resume direct Palestinian-Israeli negotiations. We are pleased that the League of Arab States has got its second wind. It's stepping up its role in the region. We welcome the return of Syria to the Arab family, and we welcome the start of the normalization process between Damascus and Ankara, uh, which we are shoring up with our Iranian colleagues. All these positive signs are backed up by the Astana format, which foster uh, the Syrian settlement. We do hope that with the assistance of the UN, the Libyans can uh, prepare for general elections in a long-suffering country that for more than 10 years has not got back on its feet after the NATO aggression that destroyed their state and opened the floodgates for the spread of terrorism to the Sahel region and waves of millions of illegal migrants to Europe and other areas of the world. The analysts have said... As soon as Muhammad Gaddafi abandoned his military uh, nuclear program, he was destroyed. Thus, the West has created astonishing risk for the entire nuclear non-proliferation regime. We're concerned by Washington and its Asian uh, allies whipping up hysteria on the Korean Peninsula, where the strategic capabilities of the U.S. are building up. 
the Russia-Chinese initiative to deem humanitarian political challenges as a priority have been rejected. There's been a tragic development of the situation in Sudan. Uh, it's nothing other than the impact of the failed Western experiment to export its liberal and democratic dogma to the country. We support the constructive initiatives to speed up regulation or, or rather settlement of the domestic Sudanese conflict by providing uh, assistance to have direct dialogue between the warring parties. When we see the nervous relation of the West to recent events in Africa, in particular Niger and Gabon, one cannot fail to recall how Washington and Brussels responded to the bloody coup in Ukraine in February in 2014, a day after agreement was reached on settling under EU guarantees uh, the issues. But unfortunately, the opposition just trampled on this, the US and its allies. Uh, supported the coup, hailing it as a demonstration of democracy. We cannot fail to be concerned by the ongoing deteriorating situation in the Serbian province of Kosovo. NATO supplying arms to the Kosovo and helping them to establish an army grossly violates the key resolution of the Security Council 1244. The whole world can see how the, in the Balkans the sad story of the Minsk agreements in Ukraine is being repeated. There, I recall, there was stipulation for a special status for the republics in Donbass. However, Kiev openly sabotaged this with the support of the West. Just now as well, the EU does not want to force its Kosovo protégés to implement the agreements that were made between Belgrade and Pristina in 2013 to set up a community of Serbian municipalities of Kosovo. This would have special rules regarding their language and their traditions. In both cases, the EU acted as a guarantor for these agreements. Apparently, they share the same fate. You just need to look at the sponsor and you see the result. Now Brussels is imposing its mediation um, services, so-called mediation services on Azerbaijan and Armenia, along with Washington, and this is... And, and in fact, Yerevan and Baku actually did settle the uh, situation. So the time has come for mutual trust building. There are Russian troops who will certainly help this. Now, talking about decisions of the international community that remain on paper, we call for a completion once and for all of the process of decolonization. This is in line with GA resolutions, and we want an end to all colonial and neocolonial practices. A vivid illustration of the rules according to which the West wants us all to live is the fate of the commitments that were made in 2009 to provide developing countries with $100 billion annually to finance climate mitigation programs. If you compare that fate with the unkept promises, and it's unkept promises, with the sums that the US, NATO, and the EU has spent on supporting the racist regime in Kiev, according to reports, $170 billion since February 2022, you'll understand what the enlightened West really thinks. It is high time for a reform of the existing global uh, governance architecture. There, it should be res uh, no more artificially holding back of the redistribution of voting quotas in the IMF and the World Bank. The West must recognize the real economic and financial clout of the countries of the global south. 
there's, uh, it's important also to unblock the work of the WTA disputes body. There's an increasing need to expand the composition of the Security Council solely through eradicating underrepresentation in the composition from the global majority, so countries from Asia, Africa, and Latin America. It's important that the new members of the Security Council, both permanent and non-permanent, are able to use their authority in their own regions as well and in global organizations such as the Non-Aligned Movement, the G77, and the OIC. It is high time to look at fairer ways of making up the UN Secretariat. One criteria that's been in place for many years or rather all the criteria that have been in place for many years do not reflect the actual clout of states in global affairs and artificially ensure excessive dominance of citizens of NATO and EU countries. This disproportionate situation is made even worse by the system of permanent contracts which links people to positions in host countries of headquarters of international organizations, the overwhelming majority of which are in the capitals that promote Western policies. A new type of UN reform is needed, where there are no leaders and followers or teachers and students, but when all questions are resolved based on consensus, reflecting of balance and of interest. For example, uh, this is really borne by the BRICS, which has expanded its authority, in particular following the Johannesburg Summit. And for also at the regional level, there has been a clear renaissance of the African Union, CELAC, the Ligure Arab States, the GCC and other structures in Eurasia. A harmonization of integration processes is underway as part of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, ASEAN, the CSTO, the Eurasian Economic Community, and the CIS, the Chinese Belt and Road Project. Natural formations for a greater Eurasian partnership uh, is underway as well. This is open to all associations and countries of our shared continent without exception. These positive trends, unfortunately, are being undermined by increasingly aggressive policies by the West and their attempts to maintain their dominance. It is in the common interest to avoid a fragmentation of the world into isolated trade blocks and macro regions. But if the US and its allies do not want to negotiate on making global processes free, uh, or, or fair rather, and equal, the rest will have to draw their own conclusions and will have to make their own socio-economic and technological development not dependent on their neocolonial instincts of, the former, of their former neocolonial powers. The main problem with the West the main problem lies with the West because developing countries are prepared to negotiate, for example, in the G20, and we see clearly that the G20 must and should avoid politicization. It should be able to be engaged in methods to develop mutually acceptable ways of governing the world economy and finances. Uh, it's important to have dialogue, and we mustn't miss this opportunity. All these trends must fully be borne in mind by the UN Secretariat. Its statutory aim is to seek consent from all member states within the UN and not on the sidelines thereof. The UN was founded following the World, Second World War, and any attempts to revise this would undermine the foundations of the UN as the representative of a country that made a significant contribution to defeating fascism and the Japanese militarism. I would like to draw attention to the egregious phenomenon of rehabilitating native. Uh, 
rehabilitating Nazis and collaborators in Europe, in particular in Ukraine and the Baltics. A particularly concerning fact is for the first time last year there was a GA resolution to combat glorification of Nazism, but for the first time this was voted against by Germany, Italy and Japan. This regrettable fact calls into question the true repentance of these states for the mass crimes carried out against humanity by them during World War II. It also runs counter to the conditions under which they were accepted into the UN as fully-fledged members. We strongly urge you to pay particular attention to this metamorphose that runs counter to the position of the global majority and to the principles of the UN Charter. Mr. President, today humanity, as it has done in the past, is at the crossroads. It is entirely up to us how history will play out. It is in our shared interest to prevent a downward spiral into large-scale war and to prevent the final collapse of the mechanisms for international cooperation that were put in place by our predecessors. The SG purported initiative next year to hold a summit of the future. This can only be successful by having a fair balance of interest of all member states with the respect of the intergovernmental character of our organization. At our meeting on the 21st of September, the members of the Group of Friends in Defense of the Charter actively discussed the opportunities for achieving this. As Antonio Guterres said at the press conference on the eve of this session, and I quote, if we want peace and prosperity based on equality and solidarity, then leaders have a particular responsibility to achieve compromise when designing our common future for our common good, end of quote. This is an excellent response to those who divide the world up into democracies and autocracies and dictate their neocolonial rules to others. Thank you very much. We thank the Minister of Foreign Affairs of the Russian Federation. That was uh, Sergei Lavrov, the uh, Russian uh, Foreign Minister addressing uh, the United Nations General Assembly uh, 78th session. That will conclude uh, our broadcast uh, for today. The Pan-African Journal special worldwide radio broadcast, if you'd like to have access program, along with 13 other archived editions of the Pan-African Journal worldwide radio broadcast, go to the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. If you'd like to read the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. Panafricannews.blogspot.com. We're going to close out our program with the music of the John Coltrane Quartet from the historic album entitled Africa Brass. This is Abayomi Azikawe signing off, and have a beautiful week.